millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Subtle results. Still you, but with fewer lines. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulties swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, Headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eden syndrome and medications including botulinum toxins as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. Welcome to Mentally Yours, Metro.co.uk's podcast on mental health issues. I'm Yvette. And I'm Ellen. Check out some of our previous podcasts on mental health. We've had some really great chats so far. And that was something that I did struggle with um, throughout all the times of getting diagnosed and that struggle and trying to get help. It was always, well, are you sure? And it was like, well, yeah, what else can it be? I'm definitely not making this up. I didn't know what it was. OK, I'll give you three clues to where we are. There's blue above and green below. This week's podcast may be overheard by several small people and dogs. And we definitely thought it would be warmer out here than it actually is. For the first time, we're recording in the park. <gasps> it's kind of summery, but slightly <laughs> colder than we expected. And there's lots of amazing little dogs running around, yeah. which is fantastic. The dogs are good. The birds are nice. It's a little bit cold, it's but got... it's fine. Yeah, it's good. So coming up, we're talking to Emily Reynolds. Emily has suffered from it all. Depression, bipolar hallucination. You may have heard of her too. She's published a book earlier this year, A Beginner's Guide to Losing Your Mind. a mixture of tips advice and practical stuff kind of scripts that you can take to the doctor etc and then weaved in as some of my own personal experiences and do you feel like did you write it because 
that's something that people need? Were you struggling to find that kind of advice? Yeah. So if, a few years ago, when I first started writing it, there, there were obviously mental health has kind of come into the mainstream recently. Yeah. There wasn't really that much stuff out there. Um, so the books I found were kind of either quite the kind of misery memoir kind of stuff, or they were kind of very, very dry textbook so I remember getting a book when I first got diagnosed with bipolar that was called like the Di- the bipolar workbook or something and it was really good but it was quite unapproachable it was quite dry it was like a textbook it was written by people who were obviously experts psychiatrists and stuff but I didn't really feel very connected to it so I wanted to do something that combined the kind of empathetic relatable side of misery memoirs for want of a better word and the practical stuff from kind of textbooks so that's what I was trying to do. There's quite a few books about mental health out there now which is great what do you think sort of sets yours apart from the others? Um, that's quite a difficult question. It's I, better. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. Um, no, I think that the kind of the mixture of practical and memoir kind of thing is still quite unique. Um, and also I've tried quite hard to kind of do back to basics, very, very practical stuff. You know, um, when you can't get out of bed, that kind of thing. What, what do you do then rather than... Uh, there's loads of great books out there now about like mindfulness, meditation, that kind of stuff, um, which I personally do and I think that it's really good. But when you're at kind of like your lowest ebb, those kind of things often don't feel that useful, you know, because you can't get out of bed. So you're probably not going to do like a guided meditation. Can you give us a few of those tips, please? Mm, we need them. Okay. okay. So um, a few of them I'd, when I, I do when I'm really depressed they're very basic things um so if you don't have mental health problems you probably think this is ridiculous why does someone need advice on this but things like just opening a window opening your curtains even so i've often lay in bed for hours at a time not moving the curtains drawn opening the curtains and getting a tiny bit of fresh air really helps you know you're not going to go for a run when Mm. you're really depressed so that's a good way of getting some fresh air um things like just washing your face and just sort of in between things like if you feel like you can't go and have a shower or have a bath, I don't want people to feel guilty about that. You know, if you go and wash in the sink or something or wash with like a wet wipe, that's just as good if you're feeling depressed. It makes you feel slightly better. I think that's really valuable. Mm. Um, But I think they're kind of such small things that people often overlook them or, you know, they feel like they shouldn't be proud of doing them. Whereas I I feel like you really, that's an achievement when you're, you're really low. You should feel proud that you've managed to do something for yourself like that. Yeah, I agree. I mean, definitely when I, if you're depressed, sort of even just actually getting up is quite an achievement, isn't it? And, yeah. But you don't generally sort of think, oh, that's something to celebrate. But yeah. No, I think like, I mean, I personally beat myself up quite a lot about that kind of thing. You know, you know, you see friends or, you know, like loved ones who don't have mental health problems. and You're like, oh, look at all of that stuff they're juggling and they're fine. And I'm here and I can't get out of bed. And isn't it terrible? But I think it's very easy to think like that. But, you know, I think people should try the best to kind of get out of that mindset because, you are doing a really good job, no matter what you're doing, no matter how small a thing you're doing. It's an achievement. Mm. So can you tell us a bit about your own um, mental health backstory? When did you first start experiencing mental health issues? Um, so it was quite a long journey, which I think is quite common. Um, so I first started feeling quite depressed, although I didn't really know that it was depression or recognise it as such when I was about 14 or 15. Mm. So that's when I started to, you know, be like, you know, sleeping all the time, couldn't get out of bed very socially withdrawn um not eating that kind of thing um but it was sort of written off by teachers counselors gp as kind of oh you're just a teenager so then i kind of ignored it for another five or six years um and it kind of came to a head and i finally got some kind of diagnosis and help when i went to university um because i had a psychotic episode Mm -hmm. and then it was very clear to everyone that i wasn't coping and that i needed help so then i moved back in with my mum went to the gp 
got a diagnosis of depression, which turned out to be wrong, <laughs> went on loads of different antidepressants over the years. Um, and then finally, a few years later, I was diagnosed with bipolar, which is the correct diagnosis that I've had for two or three years now. Mm. When you say psychotic episode or psychotic mm-hmm. break, can you explain what you mean by that? Because I think for a lot of people, that's just a big, like scary word. Yeah. And no mm. one's entirely sure what it entails. So for me, uh, so I've had quite a few now and they kind of vary in intensity and like, the type of psychotic episode I have. So I often get extremely paranoid. So I think someone's following me or I think that I'm being tracked. Um, and not, it's all, almost always quite nonsensical. So a few years ago, I was very convinced that all of the traffic lights in London were filming me specifically which doesn't make sense because there are so many cctv cameras in london anyway (laughs) if someone was trying to track me it would be pretty easy to do it via an already existing system but obviously i wasn't in the right state of Mm -hmm. mind so it made total sense um so i i often think people have broken into my flat and moved stuff so you know you know obviously every day you pick something up and put it somewhere else they get very fixated on that and become really really convinced that someone's coming into my flat when i'm away so then that would lead to me staying in all the time so i then not sleeping because I'm thinking that someone's gonna come in stuff like that really and I sometimes get auditory hallucinations um hear voices sometimes um I always hear a ringing phone which is really quite an annoying quite an annoying auditory hallucination really um Mm. so it's just stuff like that's quite varied and how are you dealing with that at the moment are you on meds or is it therapy I'm not on medication at the moment um but I'm looking to go back on medication sometime in the near future um i go to therapy um i've been managing it in like very small ways day to day so trying to leave the house once a day is the thing that i've been trying to do um i've been doing mindfulness and meditation things like that i've been trying to eat better um but obviously that's come being able to do those things being stable enough to make healthy choices and give up drinking and things like that has come from like a lot of work in terms of I I previously was on medication and i've been in therapy for a, a really long time so it's only from that kind of basic base that I've been able to make the bigger changes and what made you kind of come off medication or stop medication well the reason I came off the medication I was on previously was um because of the side effects Mm. basically um and I felt that I'd got to a point where I had changed my lifestyle like to the extent where I felt like I would be able to cope with the change of coming off medication because previously I've just come off medication without consulting a doctor and when my lifestyle was exactly the same as it was before and then I would immediately fall back into really bad habits and nothing would improve so I was on an antipsychotic but the problem with it was it can really stabilize me but I was just sleeping probably like 18 hours a day I was falling asleep at my desk at work and stuff and obviously I'm a writer so I kind of have to be awake awake yeah and alert and like be able to use my like brain and use words and I was finding that really difficult but um looking to go back on something I don't know what yet but I kind of see it as like an ongoing process of working out what is right for me personally and what was right for me at specific times as well for sure what kind of advice would you give to someone who's experienced their first psychotic episode so do you mean after it's happened or during after because obviously well i mean during yeah sort you, of... it's really difficult yeah. to, to access any help um I, I think like having a really long and comprehensive discussion with like a mental health professional about the best ways to cope um i think that people should also try to work on that stuff kind of one step at a time so when you've had a psychotic episode after it's over you often feel very depressed you know you feel upset you feel ashamed you feel like your life is over Mm. you feel broken etc and it can be really easy to try and make loads of promises to yourself that you're going to do you're going to go for a run every day and you're going to do mindfulness every day and you're going to 
you know, go to therapy every single week for the rest of your life. But it's actually quite difficult to make all of those changes. Well, it's impossible to make all of those massive changes at once, especially when you've just had a kind of traumatic experience. So I would say kind of work out what you want your life to look like and focus on one step at a time would probably be my advice. Mm. For you, was writing a book part of that? Like, was that something that you always wanted to achieve and you were working on? It was kind. It was actually kind of a mixture. I ended up kind of writing it kind of by accident, yeah. but I actually found it quite useful. Um, I think we, we were talking about this before we started recording because obviously you write about mental health as well. It's kind of a double-edged sword because in some ways it can be really cathartic. It can really help. And listening to other people's stories when they respond to what you've said can be really like positive and yeah. make you feel really good about yourself but also it can when you're feeling down as well can feel kind of um exhausting and difficult to talk about those things and also having like the sense of responsibility of writing about things like mental health when it's still a very stigmatized thing can be quite a lot of pressure Mm -hmm. so i did find writing the book amazing and really lucky to have been able to get something published and stuff but um it wasn't always like a huge cathartic amazing brilliant story for me at the time mm. no I imagine it must have been quite draining at times probably yeah I was, I was working a job and freelancing and trying to write a book at the same time which was quite tiring and probably would have been quite a lot of stress for someone who is extremely well balanced which yeah. I'm not so at times it was really hard um, and also I think when you write about mental health um, obviously you have to think about mental health all the time and mm. it can be really easy to get kind of obsessed with your own mental health and think about it constantly and I, that can get quite depressing and you, you start to feel like you're kind of defined by it yeah. which I yeah. think can be really unhealthy and unhelpful way of dealing with things how do you deal with that um well I'm just trying to do other things that aren't related yeah. to mental health um so I've been trying to I'm just writing about different things at the moment um trying not to get too bogged down and I've kind of actually have stopped reading mental health books yeah. for the moment because as I said, you get really obsessed with it. I've been trying to, I've been trying to do stuff like write, uh, read fiction, which is a complete escape. Watch films, stuff like that, which sounds really s- sort of simple. But sometimes it's nice to just escape from a world in which you're always mentally ill. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And where it's always something that you actually have to be thinking about constantly yeah, yeah. as well. But you mentioned some of the benefits as well. When you were writing it, how was it benefiting your mental health? I think it was kind of, well, I guess it was a bit like therapy where you're asking questions of yourself. And I think a lot of the time when I was writing and I was interviewing other people about their mental health and how they coped and obviously reading a lot of literature around it, quite a lot of things clicked into place. Like, wait a second, Mm. that's why I've always been doing that thing or, you know, related to other people's stories and kind of worked out why I might behave in certain ways, which I found really helpful, Um, which I guess is, yeah, exactly what you do in therapy. You ask questions of yourself and try and work out the answer. So it was really useful for that. Just quite cathartic to get stuff written down. I'd kind of forgotten a lot of stuff that had happened to me. So there's quite a lot in there about when I went to university and had quite a difficult time with the people that I lived with in halls. And I kind of like completely blocked it from my mind because it was such a horrible time. I'd just forgotten about it. And then when I started to write, I remembered. And I mean, it wasn't, fun to remember that stuff but it's quite cathartic to get it out and to kind of like process it instead of just being like repress repress all yeah. the time have you had any surprising or particularly interesting um reactions to your book from people close to you not from people close to me because i'm quite a light heart on my sleeve person anyway so i don't think anyone was 
that surprised mm. uh, because I've blurted out everything about my life to everyone within three seconds of meeting them anyway. But I have been quite surprised by the people who have sort of given me feedback. So I was mostly expecting the people to read it to be people who had mental health problems. Mm. Um, but I've had quite a lot of feedback from um, particularly older women who had bought it for... Their ch- because they wanted to understand what was happening with their children. I got an email from a woman who bought it because her son's new girlfriend had depression and she wanted to understand, you know, and help in the best way she could, which I found really touching. Mm. Um, I just I f- thought that was really nice. That is genuinely really lovely. Yeah, I was yeah. like, oh, I'm going to get all choked up. It was really, really nice. Imagine if someone you were dating, their mum bought that book for you. That's really, really, sweet. That's really nice. It's so sweet. So I hope they get married yeah, if they're they should. listening. And then you can be invited to the wedding. That would be good. Yeah, brilliant. Um, Did you get... Oh, sorry. Oh, no, you go. No, I was going to say, um, while we're on, uh, vaguely on dating Mm -hmm. and love life, um, how has your bipolar affected your love life? It was quite difficult, actually, especially before I had it diagnosed, because now I pretty much understand the patterns and I understand when I feel like I'm going to go into a manic episode, I really very closely know what the symptoms are and kind of how to stop them but previously I hadn't really worked that out mm-hmm. so I would go and date so much when I was manic like go on like four dates a night and just be really bizarre on them just mm-hmm. talk for like an hour and a half and just they would be like who is this woman like what is she doing this is mad um, which is quite difficult and then also I would um, commit to loads of plans and dates and whatever when I was manic and then like the next week when I felt more depressed I would just cancel on everyone mm. it was just a flake the whole time um, which is quite difficult I also was at the time I was drinking loads I was taking loads of drugs so I was just being erratic and like annoying all the time I was like ha- always had a come down on like a Thursday mm. so it was probably not that pleasant to be around generally so it's quite difficult but I think once you learn to manage your symptoms I don't think it it makes that much of an impact on your dating life as long as you're honest about you know what you're going through and what support you might need another thing we'd like to talk about on this podcast um because we try and keep it light-hearted it doesn't mm-hmm. always work um <laughs> is do you have any amusing stories relating to your mental health or oh, mental gosh. health issues you pro- think about that. probably it's should have warned stuff. you about that before beforehand funny. i feel yeah. like all the stuff i find funny nobody else finds funny That's like fine. when you drop like a suicide joke in the middle of like a normal party and people are like are you okay you're like it was a joke come on if probably. there's anywhere to drop those kind of jokes <laughs> it's, it's definitely on a mental yeah, health podcast yeah probably i can't think of any particularly funny moments though, off the top of my head that's all right i mean the traffic light thing's quite I like that. I think yeah, that's quite funny. Yeah. Anything like that where it's like, I know that this makes no sense, but my brain... It makes complete sense. Yeah, it mm. makes sense to my brain at this very moment. I think the paranoia thing must be quite common. Because oh, yeah. Kate was saying about that when she was talking about bipolar. And I had that when I was sort of going through a manic episode before I was on meds and stuff. And I was working some temp job after uni. And I was convinced that the, the job that I was at was filming me. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. I just, just thought there was it, just makes, it just makes sense. You're just like, well, this is part of my life now, and it just mm. completely makes sense, and that's definitely what's happening. I thought there were secret cameras. And I was trying to find them. The, the, the weird were, thing, were the, weird, the weird thing about that for me is I didn't get fired. So like, they I didn't was, notice. They obviously didn't no, notice. They didn't notice that I wasn't doing my job properly, or indeed at so all, you were or that I was doing the cameras. that. Yeah, and that proves that they definitely you must have been really, yeah, you. you must have been really good at the job. <laughs> Well, they, they yeah. were. They would definitely notice. Like she keeps staring in the corners <laughs> and stuff. She keeps yeah. looking directly at the camera. I think she knows we're here. Yeah. So no, definitely, probably weren't filming. If that's at all reassuring. Yeah. 
which I'm sure it is, you know, years on. <laughs> um, in terms of being honest about stuff, have you ever been like scared to be honest? And like in terms of writing a book and publicly saying to you know, a bunch of strangers, was that yeah. scary? I found it, I've, I actually found writing a book a lot easier than I have found talking about my mental health with people I know, which might sound ridiculous but I kind of grew up on the internet and I had constantly been posting on everything that had ever happened to me on MySpace and LiveJournal from the age of like 13 so sharing with other people who I didn't know feels and feels natural to me always felt natural to me whereas telling people that I actually knew I found quite difficult because I guess you're a lot more vulnerable was obviously on the internet even if you're saying something that is very vulnerable and that is very personal and sensitive you are protected like they can't they can't see you you're like there's a barrier between you mm-hmm. um but when you tell someone that you know or you love or you have to have a conversation about mental health that can be really difficult because they are actually really seeing the real you mm-hmm. um so i've actually found telling thousands of people what happens in my life quite easy compared to telling my mum what's going on yeah mm-hmm. which probably should be the other way around but i think that's quite common for a lot of people definitely. in their 20s definitely so i think also like if some stranger on the in- internet says something horrible in response you can just dismiss them and be like oh, they're yeah. just some idiot yeah exactly yeah. yeah but if someone that you know or you love or you care for says something sort of dismissive yeah, about mental like, oh, health God, it's really hurts. hurtful yeah um <laughs> this is horrible so i found it i found that quite cathartic and easy compared to talking to my parents about it for example which i still find i still find quite difficult have your parents read your book yeah they've read it they read well, I, well they're in it so i yeah. i got them to read in fact they had to sign a form to oh, make wow. sure that i wasn't libeling them. them or whatever cool. but i was obviously very nice about them in the book but um yeah they've read it but i i actually think the book shared a lot more than i have actually shared yeah. with them they're really supportive but i still find it really difficult so if my mum can I'm very close to my mum so if I call her and I'm depressed or I'm on my way to a manic episode she can pretty much instantly tell so she'll always say like are you okay what's going on and I'll always be like nothing I'm fine shut up I'm fine don't talk to me um whereas in the book I've obviously written about everything yeah. so um I, don't, I still don't really know why that is I guess I don't want her to see me oh for sure miserable whatever you just want to like stay in your little like duvet exactly. den of misery like you and don't I think wanna... also you never want your mum to worry like yeah, everyone exactly. else can worry a bit but your mum it's like oh yeah my mum, my mum worries me. a lot so same I don't, yeah. yeah do you think um them reading the book has changed your relationship with them or helped them understand things more i do think that it's helped help them understand more and i also mm. feel that having like since writing the book i do feel more capable of talking to them about things and yeah. having adult conversations and also I mean it's mainly been me saying things like oh I know you mean well when you say or do this thing but it actually is really unhelpful because of xyz whereas previously I would have kind of bottled that up and then maybe we would have had a huge argument and my mum wouldn't have known where it had come from yeah because I'd kind of repressed all of that and I hadn't talked to her about it whereas now I feel like I have the capacity to say can you not do this because of xyz reason in a really calm and adult manner rather than being like a moody teenager even i'm 25 yeah Mm. um so that's been really helpful so yeah if you have a problem communicating with your mother write write 60,000 words about it (laughs) you'll be fine (laughs) i do think it helps because the second you write stuff on the internet about mental health you know it's all out there and it, I think it completely changes your relationship with your parents. Like with my mum, I started writing this series and then we actually did this interview for Mother's Day about our shared depression. Mm. It's completely changed everything. Oh, that's really yeah. nice. That's really nice. I'd recommend that to anyone <laughs> as well. Write a book, then interview, <laughs> interview your, your mother. Yeah. 
I think That's I want to do chat. quick fire round. Oh god. Oh okay. Of any tips you have, if someone's having a really bad day, go. Uh, just the basic things I mentioned, like open a window. Uh, you know, if you can go for a walk, even if it's literally down the stairs and up again, do that. Drink a big glass of water. Make sure you eat. Doesn't matter if you're eating shit. Just eat something. Um, wash your face if you can. Have a bath. Do little things for yourself. Read a magazine. You know, light a candle. Like it's absolutely not going to kill you of depression at all you're probably still going to feel almost shit but it will make the day bearable it will like enable you to pass the day and not want to kill yourself quite as much so this is goodbye from mentally yours so go away enjoy your day get on with all your chores from mentally 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 yours mentally yours If you've suffered from any of the issues we've been chatting about today, have a look at the Samaritans website, which is samaritans.org, or give them a ring. It's 116123. You should also check out Emily Reynolds' book. It's called A Beginner's Guide to Losing Your Mind, and it is great. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Mentally Yours on iTunes and follow us on Twitter. Our producer is Sam Bonham. Jingles are by Lucy Baker and we'll see you next week. 